This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cool Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grow New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 203 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we begin a very new aspect of the show. We get to look at something a bit different, but something very familiar all the same. We are looking at a grim tale, one of my personal favourites and one of the best of all. This is the tale of Rumpelstiltskin. But before we get down to that, a very big welcome to all of you listeners. Whether you be new or returning, thank you so much for your recent or continued support. All the normal ways you can support the podcast, you can follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media. If you want to make any suggestions, queries for the podcast, or if you just want to reach out and say hello, you can also share this on your story. This episode, you can tell a friend about it. You can continue to grow the podcast as we continue over now that we're into our fifth year of it four years going but into the fifth year now um other than the social medias if you want to support the podcast you can do so by buying my book garden scene my neomyth poetry collection of home that is available in paperback from the headstuff website or in kindle version from amazon we can ship the paperback all around the world um i it is continues to be my great, great pleasure and privilege uh, to be able to share this book with you all. And thank you so, so much. As always, I'll never be able to thank those who have already bought it enough. Hope that you're all enjoying it. And as always, in the usual ways, do let me know your thoughts on the book or if you're enjoying it uh, or enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so, so much for that. And the other way is that you can support the podcast directly by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. All of the links are in the description below. For as little as five euro a month, you can pay more if you want. You can gain bonus access to Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. No hard sell on any of them, and we got them all wrapped up nice and clean, nice and early, because we had a few long intros recently. Nothing wrong with that as well when there's something good to say, but uh, I'm very excited about this episode because this is stuff I've wanted to do since the beginning of the podcast, which might seem strange given that the the nature of this podcast is, is an Irish storytelling and focusing on folklore and mythology, but this stuff, the grim tales and Greek mythologies and other worlds, fo- other countries and cultures, folklores and mythologies, were very much as much a part of why I wanted to start this and why I'm interested in this type of stuff. Without having a grounding in grim and Greek mythology, I don't know if I would have had the interest and the the 
and the desire to branch out and dig deep and find the the mythology and the folklore of my own culture and so now that we've had such a big world of it and I've been doing this for four years now seems like a very good time to even dip in every so often with a different tale from a different culture so this is how it's going to work now where it'll be the new the new rhythm of the podcast where we'll have an Irish myth an Irish folklore tale and then a myth or a folk tale from some other place that'll keep this kind of fresh it'll always keep it focused on the irish stuff but then it'll give us something lovely to compare it to and that's part of the breath that i would always hope for this podcast as well and even though these tales these folk tales have been adapted and readapted hundreds and thousands of times and there are so many versions of them by endlessly better artists and writers than i am I think I have enough experience with this podcast now to comfortably be able to do at least a version, my version, of a few of these tales. And this seemed like a good intro. This might be a strange one for some, uh, because you think about the grim fairy tales, you have such an en- uh, a vast array of ones to choose from, from your Snow Whites and Cinderella's, Sleeping Beauties, all this kind of stuff to much more obscure ones. Uh, some of the more obscure ones I do want to do, such as The Mouse, the Bird, and the Sausage, which is my personal favorite grim tale, the grim tale that you've never heard of, um, or that very few people have heard of. Uh, certainly has never had a Disney adaptation, but is all of the wickedly dark and gloomy and awful aspects of Grimm that is so wonderful in their versions that have usually been sanitized in more contemporary versions of the tales was trying to think of a better word for version there but there was not one coming to mind but rumble stiltskin has always been one that stuck out for me because it's never had a disney adaptation and isn't one that's that it has been seen as much visually the only major one i can think of is you've got him as a character in shrek but particularly the later shreks i was never as big a fan of i as a as a diehard fairy tale fan growing up and 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 disney apologist in a lot of ways uh, i always found a lot of the dreamworks movies quite cynical and especially uh, some of the later shrek movies so i don't count uh, plus rumpled stillskin in the shrek movies isn't really the story of rumpled stillskin as much um his really only main feature and again it's a bit of a removed is in the disney abc series once upon a time which i affectionately referred to as my trash which i've talked about i think a bit on the podcast it's basically all of the characters of grim fairy tales that disney hall has the ownership of they are transported into our world into a world without magic where most of them have forgotten their fairy tale origins and it's the first series kind of starts as a kind of not murder mystery but kind of detective story about helping these fairy tale characters uh rediscover who they were and it's really interesting and it is really trashy and as it goes on it totally goes off the rail and starts stops being anything to do with fairy tale and more just as becomes what disney property have we not seen in live action there but one of the things that grounds it the most and the hands down best thing about the series is the character of Rumpelstiltskin, amazingly played by Robert Carlyle, who plays him in this wonderful Commedia dell'arte kind of way and portrays a real, real darkness and uh, nuance to this character. 
but also even in um once upon a time rumpelstiltskin is quite a big removal from his grim tale and he becomes amalgamated with the beast from beauty and the beast and the crocodile from who bit off captain hook's hand there's a lot of crossover some of which is clever and some of which is a bit of a stretch but what i say for all of that is that there's something about rumpelstiltskin that still seems to belong to the oral and literary tradition first this is a story I knew as a story first before I'd ever seen it visualized or heard it anywhere else. This is one I know from books and has always been one I've loved. So if we were to do one grim tale to begin, especially if I might not do grim tales all the time, you know, I want to mix this up a bit and get a bit of a breath of different tales from different parts of the world in this every third episode kind of thing. So if I only had to do one grim tale for a while and as a gateway grim tale, this felt like the right one. And we will chat more about it, of course, afterwards. But this is Rumpelstiltskin on Fireside. Rumpelstiltskin. Once upon a time, there was a proud and boastful miller. Milling is one of the oldest professions in humanity. Since people have been able to hunt and to gather, there has been a need to process the grains and crop, to mill them into a state that was ready for baking and cooking. The integrity of this noble profession to society is why even though we don't see too many millers working today, the importance of the name lives on in the surname of Miller, from comedians to dramatists. But our Miller for this tale, who in traditional fashion we will henceforth refer to as THE Miller, had a rather inflated and secretly insecure sense of himself. He would go around the village, into the inns, and tell exaggerated stories about his own abilities. I have a donkey, he would say that can trot around the grindstone without ever taking a break. And he'll only work for me. If any other miller was to approach him, he'd kick them from here to gall. But in the sense of fake it till you make it, this miller's outrageous claims eventually came to the attention of the king. The miller was summoned to court, and the miller, desperately wanting to secure the position of miller to the king, thoughtlessly professed, I have a daughter who can spin straw into gold. The king didn't care about the miller's donkey or his grain, but he was rather intrigued by the sounds of his gold-weaving daughter. Well, you'll have to bring this daughter to court tomorrow. I must see this rare and impressive talent. The miller began to sweat. Fortunately, he did in fact have a daughter, a teenager who, lucky for her, had not inherited her father's pathologically lying ways. But the father did not have time to come up with a plan, because the king immediately sent guards to bring the miller's daughter to court. The young girl was brought into a room in the dungeon of the castle, where the king said to her, Now, my dear, word has reached my royal ears of your unique skill. Here is a room full of straw and a spinning wheel. I'm sure that's all a talented girl like you needs. I'll give you all of tonight. 
spin all this straw into gold by morning, or I'll have you put to death. The king left the room, the door was locked, and the miller's daughter began to cry. She was so confused. She knew her father liked to make outlandish claims, but she never thought that she herself came into the equation. And now her father's lies would cost the daughter her life. She looked at the spinning wheel and wished for an alternate future. Perhaps one where pricking her finger on that same spinning wheel would send her into an internal slumber. But perhaps that was just the talk of fairy tales. But when all hope seemed lost, who should enter the room but a man? A prince, perhaps, thought the miller's daughter. But alas, no. What entered the room was a little creature, more human than goblin, but more imp than human. He approached with a smile that made the girl uneasy. What seems to be the trouble, my dear? asked the imp. The miller's daughter told him her tragic tale. Oh, what a shame, said the man, who clearly seemed to already know the entire sorry story. Well, as it just so happens, I actually can spin straw into gold. But what will you give me in return? The girl looked at her modest dress and appearance and said, I have this necklace. It belonged to my mother. Let's have a look. After inspection, the imp decided that it was a meagre fee, but he was feeling generous. Clearing the miller's daughter aside, the little man rolled up his sleeves, sat at the spinning wheel, and got to work. Sure enough, the girl's tears dried in astonishment as the yellow dried straw passed through the wheel and emerged the other side as glistening golden thread. On and on throughout the night, until the sun came up, the creature wove until the room was as shining as the morning sun. When the job was done, the imp took his price and disappeared. The king was naturally more surprised than thrilled as he re-entered the room, expecting to plan an execution, but instead finding a room full of gold. Not at all grateful, the king immediately summoned the miller's daughter from the dungeon to a bigger chamber on the ground floor of the castle, with even more straw inside. You did such a wonderful job last night, my dear. I didn't want to overwhelm you on a first try by giving you too much, but as you seem to make such quick work... I'll give you another night to spin all this to gold. The miller's daughter protested. Your majesty, my hands are weak and bloodied from the night's work. I worry the quality of my craft will not be up to par tonight. Nonsense, said the king. You mustn't want to hoard that incredible gift of yours. You don't want to be put to death now, do you? Ha, ha, ha. The king left the room laughing, the door was locked, and the miller's daughter once again began to panic. She wished for the little man to appear once more. As it turned out, he was already waiting in the room. Never underestimate the greed of royalty, the imp said. More straw. 
I suppose you'll want this spun into gold as well. I have your necklace. What else have you got to give? I have this ring, the girl said. It belonged to my grandmother. It'll have to do, I suppose, said the imp, and he once again set to work. The amount of gold in the chamber by morning nearly blinded all who walked in. The king was delighted, and upon seeing another room full of gold, decided on a new plan. The miller's daughter was taken to the largest room of the tallest tower, where all the straw in the kingdom was stored. There the king said to the poor girl, I'm so impressed, my dear, not just with your skill, but with you. Strange as it may seem, I have never taken a wife, and though you are far, far, far below my station, you, in many ways, are the richest girl in the kingdom. So, once more, if you manage to spin the straw in this room into gold, I will make you my queen. If not, you know, death. The miller's daughter wasn't sure there was any good way out of her predicament anymore. When the little man made his appearance, he said, I hear you're to become the queen. Congratulations. But then again, that all depends on me, doesn't it? I have nothing more to give you said the daughter. Well, as you are to be royalty, so too shall your children. So, my price is this. I want your first-born child. The miller's daughter didn't have a choice, and she thought to herself, who can tell what will happen in the future? Perhaps I'll have no children. Perhaps this creature will die before he can make his claim. She agreed, and the imp worked faster than ever, spinning all the straw into a mountain of gold worthy of a dragon's covetous lair. The next day, the overjoyed and now over-rich king announced to the kingdom that he was taking himself a bride at last. The miller's daughter didn't get much say in the matter, but she supposed it was better than being put to death and now she would be away from the boasts and fibs of her father. In time, the miller's daughter, or the queen, as she became known, even grew to love the king, and long after she had forgotten about the whole gold-weaving ordeal, the king and queen welcomed a baby boy into the world. Hardly was the child wrapped in swaddling when the imp reappeared. Hello, your majesty. Long time. I'll just take that off your hands there. No, cried the queen, clutching the baby. No, asked the imp. It seems like someone has forgotten we made a deal. I saved your life. You have everything because of me. And now you want to rob me of my price. I'm no king. But that hardly seems just. I'll give you anything else, said the queen. The imp laughed. <laughs> there is nothing you could offer me. I have no need for riches. I can spin straw into gold. But I will tell you what I'll do. You caught me in a particularly good mood. So what I'll do is this. 
I'll give you three days. And if in three days you can guess my name, I'll give up my claim on your baby. But if you don't guess correctly, the little prince is mine. The queen spent a sleepless night trying to think of every name under the sun. The next day the imp arrived and the guessing began. Brian? Nope, that's not my name. Eugene? Nope, that's not my name. Kevin? Nope, that's not my name. On and on the queen guessed and every time the imp gave the same reply. The next day the queen sent guards out into all the villages and towns in the kingdom in search of all the most unusual names. When the imp came back, the guessing continued. Samuel J. Snodgrass? Nope, that's not my name. Thelonious Thistletwat? Nope, that's not my name. Jack Hendricks McWatershuffle? Nope, that's not my name. At the end of another round of failed guessing, the imp laughed and said, See you tomorrow, my queen, for the final round. The queen began to slowly realize that the next day she may very well have to say goodbye forever to her beloved only son. She contemplated every alternative, of sending him away, anything. But she also knew this creature was magic and would probably find the baby wherever he was sent. But just when all hope seemed lost, a guard returned and told the queen a story. I was going door to door asking everyone in the kingdom their names under the guise of some sort of census, when I heard the strangest sound. It was a little tiny creature dancing around a fire. And he was singing a song that went something like, Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll be a dad. The king and queen will soon be sad. The history books will sing my fame. For Rumpelstiltskin is my name. The queen smiled and then laughed. This time she would look forward to the guessing game. The next morning, the proud and smug imp arrived. The queen decided she would take her time. Is your name Andy Riley? Nope, that's not my name. Is your name Jemima Ragtool? Nope, that's not my name. Is your name Todd Unctious? Nope, that's not my name. Well, then your name must be Rumpelstiltskin. The name was long out of the queen's mouth before the little man was robbed of the grin on his face when he realized what name had been said. The devil, he cried. The devil has told you my name. It's not fair. It's not fair. I can spin straw into gold. Rumpelstiltskin began to jump around the room in furious anger. He took his right leg and stamped it so hard into the ground it smashed through the floor up to his waist. The imp then grabbed his left leg with both hands and tried so hard to pull himself out that Rumpelstiltskin ripped himself 
in half. The end. The Podcast Studios is the home of the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's where lots of our shows are recorded and we work on editing, promotion, videos, live shows and lots more. As a podcast production company with three state-of-the-art studios for audio and video in Dublin city centre, we can work with you to tell great stories in a professional and engaging way. From government organisations to charities, arts groups to international brands, entrepreneurs to hobbyists, we've worked with everybody and we can help you to get the word out. Whether you need studio time, you're hosting a live stream or webinar, or you need support with editing or marketing, we can tailor a package for you. For more info, head to thepodcaststudios.ie. And there we have the delightful and vicious tale of Rumpelstiltskin on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. So there are, as I said, there are many versions of this tale. My version... um, came from or my adaptation came from uh philip pullman's book on grim tales because that is just that's the best book on grim tales that i have ever read it was the first kind of contemporary look at old folklore book that i'd read it was very much i've spoken about the book a lot on this podcast but it was the very first book that I read that inspired Fireside. I remember I like I bought this in Heathrow Airport in 2000, early 2017 um, when I was on my way to Australia for the very first time. And it's been with me in my bag for most trips I've had since. I brought it touring around Germany many times. It's a particularly wonderful thing, um, reading German folklore, traveling around Germany. And it's what kind of started that idea in me of, of liking to read the folklore of a of whatever place I was in. Um and I'd read other versions naturally. I had another penguin version that was a little bit more bare bones. It was probably more of a literal translation. But what I love particularly about Pullman's book is their contemporary, you know, modern versions of the stories, but they for starters keep their tradition, but he also doesn't try to reinvent the wheel with them. He has his line in his intro, which I've said a thousand times on this podcast, which is he wanted to write versions that were as clear as water. There's a wonderful clarity and swiftness to it. He doesn't get bogged down in detail. It is just about the story. And he's passed, because he only wrote this, I think, in 2012 or 13. And him as a writer and as an artist was far past him wanting to put his own stamp on these tales and just wanted to tell the clearest, cleanest versions of these stories. And I think that's why what he succeeds in so much. He also does on a personal level just this detail where he just does this little bit of context after each story of like different versions of them and changes in different editions, which just as a folklore nerd, I really, really appreciate it. So for example, uh, Pullman talks about the wonderful ending to the story, which is easily one of the best parts of it and the abrupt nature with which it ended. I have a tendency to put a little bow on the end of stories. I think it's from playing songs that I feel you need to kind of have a coda or go back to the chorus one more time. But in a lot of these grim tales, and certainly Pullman's versions of them, they end so abruptly. 
and I just loved the caustic nature of that, especially with your ending being something like the villain tearing himself in half, that I wanted to maintain that. But apparently that is a later version of the story. So the Grimms first collected this in 1812, I think it was, was the first edition of the Kinder and Hausmachen tales that they collected of folklore around Germany, about around a recently reunified Germany. And um, in the original tale, Rumpelstiltskin kind of just goes away or he flies out the window. In some versions, he jumps up and down and then sinks into a hole and is never seen again. But in the second edition that Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm did of these tales, they added the sticking the, the foot in the ground and tearing himself in half. And that... That is the the perfect version of this tale to my mind. But I've I've spoken in the past on, on stories as well where my favorite type of episode is when I'm reading versions of a tale that I'm going to adapt, that the less I have to read other versions of it before adapting it, the better I feel. Because first of all, it tends to be a stronger story if it makes that much of an impact on a first or second reading. And also then it just gives me a lot more of a freedom where it feels like I'm less checking back and forth for details and gives me a lot more flow. And this this was a case of that. I mean, this was a case where I just had to... Actually, I'd read it a good many, many, many times. But even before adapting it, I just read Pullman's version once and then read a little bit of context on the story and then just went away at the races. And I was having been quite insecure about adapting such a famous tale and such a frequently adapted tale, I was actually surprised that there was so much I felt I could put into it because the the bones are so rock solid there where you have the miller, the miller's daughter, the king, the three knights, Rumpelstiltskin. It's all so set in stone, but it allows so much room for little character beats with everyone and just to feel a little bit more fleshed out or just even just more justify my own version of doing it. So I had a lot of fun, and this is the call out I put out to you all, to the Fireside listeners, is the guessing game, is the name guessing game. That was the first time I'd ever had to think of names, and you that's the fun there. It's like, so I want to, in a, in a sense, like the Key and Peel East Coast, West Coast um, football teams of where they just invented the most outlandish and ridiculous names for footballers, I almost put it to you as like, what is the most outrageous name that can be thought of for Rumpelstiltskin? So I had a few different sources for my three nights. I started off um, with Brian, Eugene, and Kevin. That naturally did that didn't just come from my name being Kevin. When I watched John Cleese being asked why it was called Monty Python's Life of Brian. He said, uh, well, Brian's just one of those objectively funny names, isn't it? It's like Kevin. And I'd never really thought of my name just being an objectively funny name as a bit before that, but I can't deny that either. Kevin is usually used as a comedic punchline in uh, in movies. But uh, then in the second night, I started to try and come up. I started with Samuel J. Snodgrass, little nod to singing in the rain to make him laugh. And then that kind of got me on the mind. It's like, okay, what else can I come up with? And my two for that were Thelonious Thistletwat and Jack Hendricks McWater Shuffle, 
which I'm happy enough with, particularly Thelonious Thistletwat. I do like that name. And then for the final round, I had to just pay homage to the thing that I thought of immediately when doing this, which is the Christmas special of Father Ted, um, where there is a guessing name of trying to guess a priest's name. And those are all names that were genuinely guessed. So it's Father Andy Riley, Father Jemima Ragtool, Father Todd Unctious, as any fans of Father Ted will know, is the priest's actual name. Um, and it just seemed the perfect entrance. And then just the delivery of them, well, then your name must be Rumpelstiltskin, just reminded me of the scene in Inglorious Bastards where they're playing the game in the basement with uh, Michael Fassbender. And there just seemed, yeah, it seems a few different worlds there that got to inform what ultimately is a very simple and could very easily be a boring little exchange of names. So in your now, if if you all listen, any listeners are telling the story again, that to me is the most fun part about retelling this in an oral way is that every time you can come up with new names for that, that adds a little level of a game to it. And the final thing I'll say before, because we'll wrap this up because we are out of time, um, is I found out recently a thing about uh, it's it's a psychology a thing in psychology called the Rumpelstiltskin principle, um, which gives an added bit of weight to the story as well. Where it's the theory that to give something its true name is to have power over it, and that is the reason why Rumpelstiltskin hoards his name so that as long as he has his name no one can really control him it's used for example in in the bible the idea of adam in the garden of eden naming all of the animals once he gives something its proper name then that implies some kind of power or control over it so i thought it was an interesting just little psychological tidbit to end this wonderful tale and so i hope you all enjoyed it as always let me know your thoughts if you feel what is this story doing on an irish storytelling podcast let me know that i hope you don't i hope you can understand why i would want to do this and hope it's still very much felt like an episode of fireside which i think it did because you this it feels so irish as well because we have rumpled stiltskins in countless irish stories any of these stories we've been doing about leprechauns or chloricons or any of the, our little creatures who are always devious and trying and are supernatural and trying to trick mortals out of things, like every one of those is a rumpled stiltskin. And you see the connective tissue and the universality of folktales in something as iconic as this. So I hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, Next week, we will return to Irish mythology. We'll be having another, continuing our look at other cattle raid stories, our Tonbo tales. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back into that world again after a couple of weeks since on Tonbo Freck, which we did for the 200th episode, uh, which was very exciting to get back into the world of Queen Maeve and Kilgallil and Fergus McRoke and Cucullan and all, and I'm excited to see where we go to with that next week. So I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. All the usual ways. You can follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy Garden Sea in paperback or in Kindle. Support the podcast at Headsup Plus. All the links are in the description below, including the source for this story. Um, remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. 
Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 